Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. So, Steve, we had you and I had an interesting discussion before we started this podcast, <laughs> and we both realized that we are really burned out from last week. Mm. Just mm-hmm. a really heavy therapy week, uh, all the stuff going on with continuing things with COVID, and then you know all the riots. And I had stuff with family, and I had alumni clients coming out of the woodwork, you know, that I haven't heard from in years in crisis. Mm. Yeah. It just seems like it was all hitting at once. Yep. And yep. we both kind of got up this morning and just thought, we, are we actually starting another week? Do we are like, do we need to go do this again? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. I, I mean, it, it has like, like you indicated, there's been a lot going on. I, uh, my practice is in the process of moving uh, to, uh, to a property that I just recently acquired. And while that's going to be good, that's, and I know you've got some similar stuff going on at, uh, it's kind of a, a, the job that I do when I'm not doing my job. And, uh, and and we all have that, right? I mean, I'm not unique to that. Neither are you. I mean, whether you're a therapist or you're a sponsor in a 12 step program, whether you're, you know, taking on some other role in in the helping position, uh, or just the recovery position of of moving through this. It's uh, recovery from whatever perspective you're coming from is daunting and can be difficult. And it is, and all of us, you know, therapists aren't immune to it either. All of us have to uh, figure out ways and tools and tactics to get back to a place where you're back in the zone, right? All the way again. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, as we talked about that, it's, I kind of think of it, you know, there, there are times in life, in fact, a lot of times in life where if you kind of looked at your 
mental, emotional, and spiritual capacity and reserves, it's sort of like a glass that's full, right? That's full to the brim and you're kind of holding on. And yeah. now here comes this drop, this mm. extra drop. <laughs> it just starts the whole thing spilling over. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, under normal circumstances, it might not be a big deal, but it could be one of those days or one of those weeks or one of those months or someone said, yeah, that's, that's like one, one of those years yeah. <laughs> for me recently. Absolutely. So how do you, you know, how do you navigate that when you're just feeling spent and mm -hmm. burned out? And sometimes you're just like, I'm just so done. This recovery thing, this healing from my betrayal trauma thing. I just don't know if I have the, the, the capacity or wherewithal to keep going. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's good to talk about and to normalize this because, you know, you and I, we've obviously we've done our own recovery work. We continue to do our own recovery work. We, we eat, drink and sleep this process, you know, personally and professionally, pretty much most more, much more of the day than not <laughs> on any yeah. given day. And even, even when you're that passionate, right. Even I think there are a few people that are as passionate about this process as you and I are, but everybody has those down days. And so I think it's important to just honor and normalize that. One of the biggest mistakes that I see people make colleagues included is we, is we sometimes go back to the shoulds of, well, I should feel this way or it should look like this, right? Uh, or I should be less, I don't know, bummed out or frustrated in the process. And it's important, I think, to, to honor either your pain or in, in, in the case of our listeners, your spouse's pain and their failings and that they're having a hard time or that you're having a hard time in a loving way, right? There's yeah. other steps beyond that, but just being able to take that in and take ownership of it and and recognize, okay, this is where I'm really at. So this is going to help me knowing where I'm really at. It's going to help me point me in a direction of knowing where I really realistically need to go. Well, and that can be hard because there's, there's a certain attitude in our culture, whether that's religious or our achievement culture or our success culture that says, well, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Yeah. I shouldn't be feeling burned out. I shouldn't be feeling like I want to give up or I'm done. You mm -hmm. know? you need to press forward. You need to, you know, go for the gold and just all these things that we're told that you, you can't feel that way or can't have those days. Yes. And I think a really healthy part of the process we're talking about is just getting very raw and real about where you're at. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm going to tell our listeners straight up, this was a really tough thing for me through a lot of my recovery because two things, one is there was the shame in me that said, if you're not, if you're feeling this way, you're feeling like you can't carry on and things are really hard, then you're just weak. Oh yeah. You're weak. You're a loser. You can't measure up. You're right. You're not one of the good ones. You're not one of the achievers. So there was that part. Mm -hmm. The other part was actually getting to the place where I could voice that to my spouse was very difficult because now you're right. You're supposed to be the man. You're supposed to buck it up. You're supposed to be amazing. The knight in shining armor mm -hmm. express this stuff, but even harder was my wife then expressing her down days, her frustrations, her oh, yeah. being done back to me. Yes. That was the toughest to hear that from her mm -hmm. because when she did, when she would express that, that meant that I wasn't doing my job, which is, 
to make her happy, to give her a wonderful yeah. life, to take care of her, to shield her from painful stuff. Now she's expressing all this to me. That means I'm not a good husband. I'm a failure. I'm letting her down. Or she's expressing stuff that I'm screwing up on that she's not mm -hmm. happy with. Yeah. That's hard to hear. Totally. So this getting raw and real and honoring your pain and, and your spouse's pain and where you're at is no easy thing. No, no, not at all. Well, and similar to what you're describing, right? I think one of those, the fears that we have, and we talked a little bit uh, last week or a couple of weeks back uh, about, you know, telling the truth at any cost, right? And pursuing mm, yeah. connection at any cost. And we talked about how sometimes the best connection happens in the most painful space um, because it really does. And, and oftentimes, uh, and I know I did not, but couples that I work with frequently do this. I was so guilty of this was anytime my wife would express things like what you're describing, right? I would get really averse to it, either really defensive or really distant or really avoidant or there were lots of things that I did. But part of the reason why wasn't just because I was discouraged by her. It was because I halfway already believed those things too. And it was yeah. like, oh my gosh, if you think that too, well, we're like screwed. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're wondering if this marriage is going gonna, is gonna to stay together, like I've been wondering that for five years, like, what does that, what does that mean? It's almost as though speaking it is going to make it more real. And then maybe everyone's just going to have that. We have that fear of, oh, I guess we should just be done. Right. Yeah. It's like this double-edged sword because if, if a spouse expresses these things to you, one side of you saying, yep, I knew it. All the things <laughs> you just said, I already knew about myself. I'm a piece of crap, loser, ridiculous. And then there's the other side of you, your, your ego, your defense mechanism that says, she's full of crap and you get into this resistance and defense mode and you can go to either one of those extremes. And in both cases, we avoid or we miss the opportunity to truly connect and be intimate, right? Into me, yeah. you see, into you, I see yep. miss the connection because the ego survival brain just immediately knee jerk reacts and says, we're not, I don't have to listen to this or, Yep, everything you just said is right. So I'm just a loser forever. Yeah. All of those things avoid true connection. Yeah. Well, and, and not just connection with each other, but like with self, like we've talked about, yes. you know. And uh, you know me, I, I'm going to have to be real careful not to just redo last week's podcast because <laughs> it's like a major soapbox for me. <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, I, I think this is a good topic to talk about because as you indicated, right, there's a lot going on in the world. Everyone has busy lives to begin with. We all have stresses. We all have ups. We all have downs. Couples who are going through the recovery process, be it around addiction or just repairing their marriage or whatever, or working on the individual self as either an addict or as a spouse, they're dealing with a bigger, bigger load. Kids become involved, right? Life happens. And then you throw into the mix, you know, you know, when you put all that together, it does create that perfect storm. And so as we go through this today, we're going to be talking about uh, some tools, tips, and tricks, and and really therapeutic techniques to yeah. help to stick, get back on track, or to maybe build a new track. And we'll talk about what that means. And most of these are going, if not all, will be applicable to both you partners out there who are struggling to find your own healing and and to support your partner in in their sometimes painful, hurtful healing, and for you addicts as well, vice versa. And so. Um, I, I, I'm voting. Let's just, let's just jump into it. We got a lot to cover. Yeah. We, you know, we talked first of all, uh, kind of what we, we said is, is your view of recovery or your view of healing 
realistic. Yeah. And I know for me, as I look back on my years of recovery, I didn't have a, a realistic view of what that was going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of had this attitude that was, uh, okay, let's just do this, check the boxes, I'll be cured, and then I can move on with normal life. Yeah. Uh, we just, I didn't realize what it was going to take. And I find that sometimes the first step in all of this is to, is to come to grips with, do I, do I, have I faced what this is really all about? Yeah. Am I ready for this? You know, as, as you've said, are you, are you planning on the hard, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe we yeah. could talk about that for a second. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the research doesn't lie. Uh, recovery is a daunting process, right? If you look at some of the best research out there on sexual addiction recovery, for example, I don't pull punches with clients. I, I let them know, you know, this is a three to five year process is what the research is borne out. Now, that doesn't mean that it's three to five years of intense therapy necessarily. It doesn't mean that it's three to five years of, the, of, of a lot of the rigorousness that happens at the beginning of the process, because that does start to slope down over time as you successfully navigate those first, that first while. But that doesn't mean that you don't have hard times, and it doesn't mean that it, it does require that long-haul attitude. And to kind of borrow a phrase from, from 12-step literature, many of us, it's human nature to look for that, quote, easier and softer way, right? Yeah. There's got to be an easier way through this process. We're all, we're all uh, vulnerable to the midnight infomercial, midnight infomercial snake oil approach to recovery, right? Cure it in 12 sessions or less, Ta-da! <laughs> you know, or, or whatever it is, you know, or, and sometimes we build that up either based on distorted information. Oftentimes, I think we build that up in our own head. I know when I got in recovery, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I was kind of like Andy from the office. People were telling me this is going to take three to five years. I'm going to do this in one. How? And then like <laughs> listening it through and I'm just going to kill it quicker, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I had the same challenge. You know, I'm going to find the shortcut. I will be the exception. Yeah, I know all you other people that took this, but you're not me. Yes. Just watch how I do this. Absolutely. And yeah, that turned out real great. Yeah. I actually ended up extending the process longer than the three to five years than it should have or could have been. Yep. My, uh, (laughs) I was talking to my old therapist. He's a colleague now. We're, we're good buddies. And I jokingly told that we were talking about something similar. And I said, I think I bought you an extra used car because I, uh, was so resistant to some of this stuff. You know, it was just very much, um, (laughs) (laughs) it was very much that, that part of it. Um, and so, yeah, so there, there are hard now there obviously are lots of good, there's lots of good that comes with recovery. We're going to talk about that next. But it yeah. is important, guys, to honor your pain and to be able to sit in that space with yourself first and with your partner. You are going to have up days where you are killing it in recovery. In my practice, we call it taking back new ground, right? In the battlefield of recovery, you're taking back new ground. You're taking back old territory. You're taking back new territory. And you just and, and it's a great day. Then you have other days where you're what I call holding the line, right? And it's all you can do for the addict not to relapse. For the wife, it's all you can do not to kick his butt out and be, because your boundaries that you set with your sponsor say he hasn't quite gotten to this place yet. So try to try to try to ethically stick it out and but until those get crossed or safety gets crossed. And there, there's just lots of examples of that and being comfortable with and becoming acclimated to just like if you were, you know, climbing up Everest, there are huge, awesome vistas. And then there are parts that are just hell. 
just yeah. it just is right it's hellish it really really is and that that's okay yeah yeah and it's why you know it's why we often i know it's very cliche but we often say i we can do hard things and yeah. that's just a part of recovery and healing but like you say it's not all it's not all drudgery and hopelessness and you yep. know torture every day there are ups and there are downs and i find over time if you do what works. If you stay consistent and experiment and keep trying, you'll find that there are more up days than downs. And that, that trend is generally upward. Yes. And so it's, yeah. And, and, and the more you try it, the, the more progress you see, the better it gets. And then you kind of, you kind of get some momentum and things are, things are pretty darn good. And you get further yeah. in that three to five years and you're like, wow, you know, as I look back, I'm so glad we paid the price. I'm so, so glad we didn't throw in the towel because look where we are. Yes. So there's hope. There's great hope. Absolutely. And there are, there's lots of blessings with this process and and you have to be able to have that accurate view. I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why like a, like a qualified good therapist can be so helpful in this process. It was essential for me and my wife because We'd been in the thick of it on our own, trying to do it on our own, like most of our clients, like probably most of you, for far too long before we ever got in with a good therapist. And we needed, among other things, not just guidance, but we needed a third-party perspective who could kind of take that mile-high position, I call it, right, and be able to see the big picture and not just and to be able to look beyond this week's pain or this month's letdown or yesterday's relapse or whatever the case is and be able to say, you know what, there's... Either, either this thing really is done, or in most cases, you know, there's still potential, there's still been progress, let's, let's help identify that. So you have to, whatever it takes, be able to, to get in touch with and make sure you're getting an accurate view of, of both what is good and difficult, but also, are you seeing those blessings? Are you seeing positive changes? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and we, talked, we talked earlier uh, about what can be a confusing sounding phrase, but this concept of getting selfish in a healthy way, mm-hmm. right? We have a culture that says, well, any form of selfishness is bad. Yes. But what we've learned in our own recoveries and working with people is that there has to be, there is a healthy self-focus that has its place. Yes. And that's a big part of this. Totally. You know, um, so we could talk about that for a minute. everybody. Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Yeah, well, and I won't soapbox this one because this is this is one of the <laughs> chapters I wrote in our book, and this is something I talk about with clients all the time. And I can just hit, on, and I know we've hit on a prayer podcast, but but yeah, this this concept of you have to be able part. What I in my own recovery, I'll speak to my own experience here for a second. I spent twenty years trying to do recovery for every reason under the sun. Right, I did it for my wife. I did it for. Uh, the the culture that I was raised in the sake, you know, I did it because it was, you know, acting out was a quote unquote sin and I needed to be quote unquote righteous. I did it for, you know, 
you know, ecclesiastical leaders and whatever else. And I even tried doing it for God. And it's not that those, all those other reasons can't be helpful because they are, they are really good. We call those the external motivators in recovery. But for me, I had to get in touch with and start and start developing, even cultivating a view of what the internal motivators would be and what they would look like. In other words, the approach I had to take at the time was, you know what, screw all these other things. Screw your marriage, screw this, screw that, screw, screw God. You get a little irreverent for a second. You just, you have to be able to ask yourself, you know, what is the, what is the blessing? What are the things that I want from this process? What do I want my life to be like in six months? If I really hit this thing hard and I trust what this therapist is telling me and I do, and I, you know, I go full bore, what would I like to see in my life a year from now? Right. And and there's lots of ways to get kind of in, uh, in touch with that. And there's two ends to it. There is both recapturing maybe a vision that you had for, for example, for the relationship, right. When you first got married. So it means getting kind of in touch with that person. But then there's also, as you go through the process for many of us, both addicts and spouses, we get to a point in recovery where we're moving into territory that we've never even seen. Right. If, if I come from a, for example, if I come from a really difficult upbringing, right, where, where the marriage relationship is incredibly rocky and chaotic, there's abuse, there's neglect, there's all sorts of other things, not going through recovery and not just getting to a place where we can both stay in the marriage, but actually coming to develop a view with my partner or a vision, right, of, of you know, what, what would we like this to look like and dreaming a little bit beyond what we both experienced is a big part of that right yeah. and and figuring out what can i what would i like to expect as a result of going through all of the hard in this process yeah no and that was very much the case for me you know as we as as people talk about recapturing the vision about why why you're trying so hard in recovery or betrayal trauma healing for me it wasn't about recapturing the vision i never had the vision yeah cuz i had a really yeah. dysfunctional upbringing i didn't have models of what you would you know, what is this big vision for a relationship? Well, all I had to draw on is what I saw. Yeah. It was, you can't expect much. Yes. <laughs> Basically, if you don't kill each other and one of you end, one or both ends up in prison, that's about the most you can hope for. Victory. <laughs> <Right>? Marital <laughs> Victory. bliss. No one died. <laughs> <laughs> no one died. So my wife and my wife had kind of a similar situation. And so we had to sit down together at, at one point and just say, what do we really want? Not yeah. based on what we've seen or what we thought or think is possible, but what can we do? Uh, we like to consider ourselves, for example, chain breakers. Yes. Breaking the chains of family traditions and the way things have always been and blah, 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 right? Yeah. And in some ways we look back today and we really do have this wonderful, peaceful feeling that, wow, we have really broken some chains. We've yes. plowed new territory. We're, we're doing and enjoying things that we, wouldn't, we didn't even know were possible. And that's a part of this process. You know, don't shy away from kind of sitting down together to dream. What can we do? What is yeah. possible for us? We know that it's going to take a lot of work and we're not just going to, you know, develop this pink unicorn vision that will just magically, you know, I call on my genie in the sky and it happens. Yeah. It's going to take work and there are realities but it is possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. I, for me, like you, I had lots of external factors forever. 
Finally, one day I got to the place finally where I said, you know what? Why am I doing all this? Why is it so blasted hard? Why do I fail so much of the time? It's because I'm not doing it for me. And I just got tired of being less than I believed I could be. Yeah. Or I hoped I could be. I wanted to step into a higher me, a better me, a truer me. And once I got to that place and really started focusing on that, I found that my ability to make decisions in the moment were, were easier. Where yeah. I'd say, you know what? That's just not me. I don't yeah. want to do that anymore. I, I'm better than that. I want more out of life than that. And then I found with that motivation, I was, I was able to make better decisions in the moment because of that. Instead of, well, what will God think? What will my wife say? Or, oh, I'm going to meet with my religious leader in a month. I got to be able to answer, you know, the right questions. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I just want to be a better me. Yeah. There's really yeah. something to be said for that. Well, and on a psychological level, sorry about that. I have to move my head. On <laughs> a psychological level, right? It's uh it's uh, pretty crucial to the process because one of the essentials to recovery, as we've talked about, is consistency. Yeah. And when you bank on recovery for those external reasons, that's where it becomes very risky, right? Because if, if I'm banks, for example, if I'm doing recovery just for my marriage, I did that. I went through a stage of that. It was like, I'm doing this to just keep this marriage together because I, I want to be with my wife. I don't know what else I want, but I want to be with my wife. So I don't want to lose that. Um, well, my wife is a killer when it comes to recovery in a good way. She just kills the process. She's so good at it. But that didn't mean that she wasn't immune to having days where she's like, you know what? I really feel hope for this and I'm excited and things are going well. And there were other days where it was just like, you know what? I don't think I can talk to you for the next three days because I learned something in therapy about some dimension of what you've been doing over the years uh, or how it has impacted me. And I don't think I can speak to you right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and for a guy who was codependent on his wife's success in recovery, right? Looking to that as that, as that primary motivator, what does that do to a guy, a guy on, the, on the addict side, right? Uh, on days where the marriage is really well, it's like, man, I'll kill recovery all day long. But the minute she expresses doubt, it's like, I had a client one day uh, express it as a case of the efforts. Like, yes. I, it's just like, well, screw it. Like, I just, it's hopeless, right? I'm not going to be able to make it. We're not going to, we're not going to get there. We're not going to, uh, uh, you know, why try? Why, why keep going? And recovery needs the level of consistency that being grounded in those internal, in internal reasons brings every on every level from this from the sobriety standpoint to the brain healing that you talk about a lot to the neurobiological change it all requires that and so you've got to get in touch with those things that are going to not allow you to run out of gas before you, the process can take root and take hold and it can start to become self-sustaining yeah it's one of those cases where from a healthy standpoint you really can't ask what's in this for me yes and, you know, we, of course, we could talk endlessly about the, the, you know, the unhealthy ways to do that, and the selfishness of addiction and so forth. That's not what we're talking about. Yes. There is a place for healthy self-interest. Yes. Because it then spreads out to all the other things and people that we care about. Absolutely. You know? So you, you mentioned something I thought was pretty interesting as we were talking. You said that one of the things in your recovery, you said you found your recovery fight song or your recovery anthem. Yeah. And I was, 
I was curious about that because I think that's another essential way to navigate through these days of burnout and just exhaustion. And I don't know if I can keep going. Yeah. Uh, and you can bring other resources to bear. Absolutely. No, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. So that, that fight song or that anthem, so to speak, has changed a lot and evolves in me, for, for me in recovery. Um, not as much these days, but it still does to a degree. Um, it can be a literal song or an anthem, but sometimes it's, it's finding other ways to, to visualize what you want the process to look like, right? Or finding things that speak to you. Mm. Um, an example would be that comes to mind is I've got, uh, uh, for, uh, for, uh, use in some groups and things. I think I've mentioned on this podcast before my dad died in a plane crash. And a couple of years ago, I went and was able to go to the crash site and recover some pieces of the plane that were still there. And when I look at those, those, those speak so many different messages to me. But one of them is, is that, and I, and I try to do this through a good lens because I know that hero worships a thing, you know, when a parent dies as a kid, but objectively speaking, having talked to many people and what I experienced growing up, my dad was, was an amazing husband. He was a, he was a really good father. He made mistakes. He was human just like anybody else. But he was sincere. He tried hard. He loved us. He always made an effort to put us first. And that is an example that I, that I look to in many ways. Not that I need to become a mini, a mini Brad Moore, but in, in the sense of those, when I look at those pieces, in me, it instills a drive. It, it uh, connects me with that part of my authentic self that wants to be that same man, that wants to be those things. And also, it's a mix of that with, you need to do this today because you never know what tomorrow will bring. Because how grateful am I that my dad was doing that consistently? Because one day he walked out the door to go to work, got on a plane and never came home. Yeah. And, and I want to be able to, God forbid, should something like that happen. I want to, you know, be it COVID or whatever else. I, I don't want the people that I leave behind. I don't want to look back with regret about being somebody that I didn't want to be. And so that would be that would be one example of that. Um, another one that comes to mind for me is creating that vision for yourself in terms of, you know, what do you want? Uh, what do you want your marriage to look like in a year, for example, in five years? And not just your spouse, or not even just a relationship, but where do you want to look at yourself in it? Before we started here today, I told you that when I first got into recovery, my wife, uh, if I was to, if we were to look at an honest family photo. It would have been my wife and I both sitting there with really nice smiles on our faces, but the smiles were like tight lipped, like, mm, <laughs> you know, it was like, Hey, we're, we're happy, right? We're happy. I think we're happy today. I guess we can smile for this picture, right? It was just very much a tense. There were lots of ups in the relationship, but there were lots of downs. There was a lot of inconsistency in many regards on my end. And, and I, when I started to kind of view that, I had to ask myself, and I think this can be helpful, is ask yourself that question, whether you're an addict or a spouse, what do I want my family portrait to look like in a year, in five years, right? Um, I, I told once on, the, on this podcast a story about how my wife one day, after pressuring her, she kind of owned up to the fact that uh, she had stopped wearing her wedding ring, not because she it was too her fingers had gotten too big or resizing it was too much money she finally got honest with me one day she didn't want to be hurtful but she just said i'm embarrassed to be married to you mm. when i wear this when i wear this wedding ring it's just it's too painful mm. it's too it's too hard because i think back to how lucky 
I used to feel, you know, being engaged to you and, and wanting to get married. And, and I just don't, I, I honestly, if I'm being real, Steve, I don't feel that anymore. And when I, that same day, you know, this is where my family portrait example comes from. After my wife had left to go do something, I was obviously not in a great place. And I walked past a picture of our wedding photo and I was the only one there. And I actually talked out loud. I'm, I'm pretty sure I got pretty emotional. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to do what, whatever it takes to bring that person back. Right? I need a miracle. I need like a Lazarus being raised from the dead kind of miracle. Because that person I spent a decade killing off. And I want, I want to get to a place where she can have that authentic look on her face again, where she really feels that way. And yeah. so for a long time, that was my anthem. Yeah. <clears throat> no, and I, I remember back, I think I've shared on some of the podcasts, you know, the night my wife, uh, we were in the car and having a really tough conversation. She looked me in the eye and she said, I just don't think I can be married to a little boy anymore. Yeah. Uh, I need a man. Yeah. And you're not him at this point. Totally. And those can be, those are turning points. Yes. And we can either use those to drive us deeper into our addiction, our escape, our avoidance, our self-soothing, or they can kind of be wake-up calls. Yeah. And it's not going to be a magic, everything changes instantly. Nope. But it's tapping into things like that, right? The inspiration of it. And so, yeah. you know, we talk about your fight song. It might be a playlist of the 10 yes. motivational songs, you know, uh, you know, Rocky and these things that just pump you up. And maybe yeah. you need to have that available so that you can stick in your earbuds and play that song set when you're feeling vulnerable or your, or your, your ego brain wants to run back to old behaviors. Yeah. I mean, portraits, like you've said, it could be any number of things, whatever puts you into a higher self state, a yes. truer self state, have that ready to go. And before you give in to the urge, before you run and look at porn and masturbate or before you, give up on your healing process or chuck it all in, go and, and tap into those resources to put yourself into that higher place and see where you're at. Yeah. That's a part of recovery. And that kind of puts us into this last part here where, uh, you know, we talk about what, so what do you do? And we've been talking about some to do's when you, yeah. when you feel burned out or, you know, uh, you know, hopeless or done. Part of it is, you know, exercising choice in the moment. Yes. To me, I've found that for me and, the, and the, the guys or couples I work with, it's all about what I call choice points. It's those little forks in the, in the road where you can go left or you can go right. I can go left the way I've all, I always have kept going in this rutted path, or I can make a different decision in this moment and, and turn right. And it's these places where you have to get to the situation where you say, I'm just not going to compromise my agency. Yeah, there's just certain non-negotiable, rock-solid, foundational things where, you know, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's Gandalf on the bridge with the big fiery beast trying to get past him to kill all of his friends, mm -hmm. and he slams down his staff and says, "You shall not pass." Yeah, and there's he's just not getting out of the way. That thing is not coming past him, yeah. even though it's fifty times taller than him and it's about <laughs> to turn him into a briquette. <laughs> You're not moving that man. Yeah. And I that's think it, true. I tell my guys, and I thought I've seen this in my own life. You've got to get to the place where there are certain non-negotiables that you just simply will not relent on. 
Yeah. And is it, is it little things of self-care that you need to engage in? Is it a little routine that you just won't compromise? You know, it's, I always do a little bit of journaling before I go to bed. And so it's 1140 at night, I'm exhausted. And I get out my keyboard. And next thing I know, it's four hours, it's the middle of the night, and I, my head is on my keyboard. And the letter T is on the screen. Mm -hmm. But damn it, at least I did it. <laughs> yep. And you got to, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't perfect. But I did not lay my head on the pillow without trying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think the important point to emphasize there, guys, is on a, an, on a neurological level, on a biological level, I would also argue on an emotional and a spiritual level, part, you know, the definition of addiction, among other things, is that my agency, my ability to choose certain things has become compromised. Yes. It isn't realistic for me to say, you know, I'm just not going to masturbate. That's not realistic because there's a part of my brain, probably even today, after six years of sobriety, where if I was to just rely on that at some point in time, if I did that exclusively, it wouldn't be enough. Good boundary setting doesn't mean doing that age-old white knuckling of I'm just going to try to not act out harder, right? Um, and for a wife, the equivalent of that would be, you know, getting out, getting in a good place of healing with myself means that I'm going to have to avoid certain situations, triggers, and come up with new coping skills. Because when I get in a certain place and that trauma becomes sufficiently triggered, I too play into the issue. You know, I, 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 I fuel on my end part of the, the, the flames on this thing in some form or fashion, right? Be it just yeah. enablement or, in, or any other way. And so you have to, good boundary setting doesn't mean saying, I'm just going to not do this behavior. It's very much more, we've talked, we've talked about this before, right? Recovery has much more to do with the do's and, and with setting boundaries around areas where your agency isn't compromised. Because yep. I can't commit to, like I said, I, I realistically could never say I will never masturbate again. I, I have no control over, over that little piece of my brain that I, on a neurobiological level, I've cultivated that would make me choose yes, if left to itself to, you know, surface again. Yes. But I can make all sorts of choices, right, to, that I can be consistent with. I can journal for five minutes, 10 minutes every day. There's no reason why I can't do that. Or like you indicated, half that is like, today I felt this. Emotionally, I felt, and there's just, a, you know, an A, you know, 12, <laughs> 12 pages of A, and I wake up three hours later with my head on the keyboard, right? And, but if you can look, and that's where that boundaries discussion we had, you know, a few weeks back really ties in with this, is figuring out those areas where your agency isn't compromised. As a relationship, this works the same way. Not too long ago, I worked with a couple where we had to set up some really firm boundaries that were about 10 feet back from certain issues or topics for the short term because they lacked the skill set. Every time they would go to that place, it was like an emotional black hole. They'd get, they'd get within that kind of the accretion disc and they hit that point of no return where there was just no getting out of it. Things had become so raw. Yeah. And so being able to say, you know what, in these situations, both of us escalate. Both of us get to a toxic place. So we need to figure out what that line is, what those topics are, and we need to draw a line 10, 10 feet before so that we can say no before we lose the ability to say no to this toxic interaction. Yeah, so rather than a focus on what I'm not going to do, what I'm not going to give into, where I'm not going to go, 
it becomes more of a focus of what am I going to do? What can sure. I do? Sure. What little decisions can I make? Mm-hmm. And that's such a different focus in recovery of, you know, white knuckling and avoiding certain things rather than I'm going to choose what I can. The sure. little choices, the little decisions, the little consistencies. Yes. And that comes to our last <clears throat> point is that one of the one of the ways I looked at recovery for a long time was it was an event. Someday I'll do all this hard stuff, I'll check all the boxes, then Mark will be cured, and then he can quote, <laughs> move on to live a normal life. Yes. <laughs> and man, did that screw up my recovery forever until I finally got to the place where I said, Whoa, wait a second. This is a way of living. This is just what I do. This is who I am from now on for the rest of my life. Not a temporary approach, not some sort of event that I reach, but this is just how I live. Yes. And that made all the difference for me. Because I do things today in quote recovery. It's not really recovery. I do things as part of my lifestyle that help me consistently step into highest, truest self. Yeah. And why would I stop doing those things? Not because if I stop doing them, I'll go start looking at porn again. I don't want to stop doing these things because I like who I am as a result. I like when you it. you do those things. Yeah. yeah. I li- it's like, why would I abandon this? I like how I feel about me now. I yes. like how I interact with others now because I keep doing these consistent things each day and it's awesome. I, don't, I would never give this up. Sure. Not for recovery, I, I, but for life. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying there. I, I always get, uh, I, I, and, and everyone, everyone's recovery is different and I can't speak for anyone else, but I will tell you when I'm working with the client and they, and they kind of come to me with that, that uh, ironclad viewpoint, not of being committed to the process because the process requires that commitment, but they get to the, where they're kind of, they're vocalizing in, in a sense, what you're talking about, right. That I, I'll never relapse or I'm at a point where I'm just good now. Right. Yeah. And I, and I can in some way or form or fashion go back to whatever it looks like. I can go back to those old ways of doing things and you have to, and you have to look back when, when you're doing a recovery, in my opinion, you got to look back and you got to light that bridge on fire. Yeah. And you, and you got to burn the ships and say, (laughs) we're we're, we're not going, we're not going going that way again. Exactly. Um, I want to be, and like you said, because I, life is so much better here. I will, I always, when I, when I go to my 12 step groups, I still introduce myself as I, you know, my name is Steve and I'm a recovering addict. And I do that because, uh, and I've heard guys tell me many times over the years, don't, aren't you like recovered? Like, aren't you done? I mean, been doing some recovery for the better part of 10 years, sober for six, like, isn't that good? Like you're good. Right. <laughs> and, and the thing of it is maybe I am, I don't know, but I do know that in the past me, the minute I move into that mentality of I'm good to go is the minute I sign my relapse form hmm. at some point in time down, yeah. the, down the road. Yeah. Because I, I never get guys who come into my office saying, gee, Steve, I was just so diligent in recovery. I went out and relapsed. It's always <laughs> that, right. It's always that <clears throat> other side of, man, I thought I was good or I thought I was at this certain point or I didn't think I needed to be doing this anymore. And there are things in recovery, again, like we talked about, that you should back off from and change. My recovery today looks very different than on sobriety year one or two or three. Yes, It's a lot less rigorous. 
But as you indicated, those things that I do every day for recovery, except for my 12-step meetings and 12-step work that I do, is really stuff that just high-functioning people do. Exactly. Right? Yep. Journaling, creating a vision yep. board. We talked about creating a vision board today. Yeah. That, I'm pretty sure that's in seven habits of highly effective people. Like, yeah. these are things that just high-functioning individuals do, and, and I want yeah. that. Yeah, why wouldn't so, you do them? Yeah. Well, as we so as we close out, because we're way past, you know, 30 minutes as usual. Yeah, sorry, I soapboxed a bit there. So <laughs> if we give people a takeaway, uh, uh, what's a little to do that we can give them? If I was to if I was to identify one thing, it would be what we talked about before. Pick either this family portrait analogy or pick or or pick this recovery fight song anthem analogy and and work on that this week find out what good recovery t- dialing in with those things and is going to involve some of you know is going to be involved bringing in some of your se- some of your different senses visual vocal whatever it is that speaks to you there really isn't a right or a wrong but those and, and it doesn't like a recovery f- song for example doesn't mean it's about even recovery per se maybe it's just about some element or some concept that speaks to the deep authentic real you yeah. And so develop, start working on that playlist or start writing out. And I would encourage you to maybe start with the family portrait one, start journaling about the hard work with yourself and and, and ask yourself two questions. The first is, you know, if I keep going down the road that I'm going, or if I go down back that road of addiction, what will this family portrait look like in a year or five years? But then the other is what do I want it to look like and be descriptive, be specific, connect with those, those, those little things that we were talking about, those examples we used, because the de- when it comes to creating a vision, the devil is in the details. The more visceral you can make that process, the more deeply you will be able to connect with it. So. And once you've outlined that vision, then find simple things on a daily basis that, get, that put you in that place of inspiration. Yes. What connects me with that vision? Is it a certain kind of music? Is it a certain talk? Is it an excerpt from a certain audio book? Is it a YouTube video that just really inspires me and helps me to feel that I, that I want to be that person, that I can get to that place? You have to find opportunities every day to reconnect to that. Because yeah. life gets hard. You get burned out. You get down. You have to have ways to get reconnected to that, to that higher vision. Absolutely. Yep. I, I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, if you tie this, what we've talked about today in with those other, other parts of recovery, and we'll put in one last emphasis on the normalizing the hard and recognizing that that's okay. And that's not a bad thing. Yep. Uh, us addicts, you know, we are hardwired, especially we are brains on a deep subconscious level view pain as bad, right? People do it too, but, uh, we're so da- we're so darn pain averse. Um, is it's being be comfortable with the uncomfortable, like we talked about last week. Yeah, so. perhaps pain or the hard is the solution that you've been hoping for. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. Have a great week. All right, see ya. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety; it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com.
Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.